0: Welcome to the Thanks Therapy podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello I'm Hannah Loudon and I am Dr Emma Loudon and this is our therapy appreciation podcast
1: Thanks Therapy where we hope to demystify, destigmatize and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy.
0: And this week Hannah we are going to start a trio of episodes on topics that have been requested by our gorgeous listeners. Mm. The first is about divorce or breakup especially when children are involved. Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! should go. You should give it a try. It
1: could be good for you. So Emma, you are going to take the lead on this episode? Yes, for several reasons. Mhm. Um one, you are good at everything.
0: <laughs> well, no, this <laughs> is sort of my my niche. This is your niche, yeah. You've worked in
1: Counselling before. Yes, Did with you,
0: parents with specifically. Parents specifically, yeah. so that is extremely relevant. It involved a lot of breakups, a lot yes. of separation, a lot of divorce. Yeah.
1: I haven't done any of those things, but what I have done is been in breakups. Yes. And being sad about that. Um and B on the list <laughs> yeah. is because I have so many exams. Yes, you have a lot of work to do. So not that you don't have a lot of work to do, but you are I'm I'm more likely to be like can't do anything don't even text me I have an exam soon yeah, and well, you we are better at multitasking
0: we are both pretty busy but when you have an exam you can't exactly like procrastinate on that you've I got cannot, to do the work so yeah. we get your psychology info yeah get so we're working on different strategies to help us get through um, this while still producing a podcast fairly regularly and not getting paid for it yeah Um we have set up a Buy Me a Coffee page. Oh yeah, which Sounds is like that. the the first stage of kind of trying to say um, we sort of want to try and monetize this only so we're not out of pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at what what is currently basically a passion project.
1: Yes, so we're not getting
0: paid. There's no revenue or anything like that. But we want to continue to be able to produce content, and we want to promote it. And in order to promote it, we need a bit of cash. Mm-hmm, we need cash. So if you go to Buy Me a Coffee and you search for Thanks Therapy Podcast, our page will come up. You'll know it's us because there will be cheeky, hilarious um, <laughs> phrases and our logo will be there. <laughs> um, and also um, we'll put the link on our socials and, yeah. you know, makes a bit of noise about it. If you fancy buying us coffee, that'd be lovely. If you don't, don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, we will actually probably buy coffee with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a fair chance I'll buy at least some coffee with it. It's sure. not euphemistic. yeah. So please bear with us. We do want to produce content, but we also have the lives that we have as well.
1: So we asked on Instagram for listeners to suggest some things that they would like to hear us make episodes about. Mm -hmm. We got some really good responses. One of which was asking us to do an episode on how to cope with being divorced when you have kids or getting a divorce. How do you cope with this? Any general advice? Yes. So that was really insightful. So that's what we're going
0: to do. Yeah, and, it was a good suggestion, but we did sort of cover it a little bit um, in, when we were discussing potential holiday stress. Yeah. Separation was one of those things. Um, and But I felt like we hadn't given it a very detailed treatment. Yes, it was brief. And there are many sources of tension when separating with kids and they can be big like a holiday, like Christmas or whatever, or they can be just small everyday things. But I think we should... Uh, start with talking about breakups in general. So breakups, don't know if anyone has had any of those, but they are painful. And in terms of the psychology of breakups, Hannah, why do you think they're painful? Tell me. I
1: think they are painful because basically someone is saying, I would prefer to be not around you more than I would like to be around you. And we never want to hear that. We don't even really want to hear that from people we don't like.
0: Yes, we don't want it's to rejection,
1: think, isn't it? It's rejection. And I don't know where I read this, but I read a thing once that was like attachment trumps authenticity. And it kind of stuck with me and I wish I could
0: remember where it was. Well, that's, that is super deep. Let's come back to that a little bit later. Attachment trumps authenticity.
1: authenticity which basically I, I understood it to mean um, this is why people stay in terrible relationships. Absolutely. This is why people don't leave abusive relationships or find it hard to because the difficulty that you do know is is easier and more appealing than the difficulty you don't know anyway I think Emma maybe it was you who told me this recently um in maybe in one of our episodes or maybe in our real life where Mm. we speak to each other every day we do yeah and we don't record it but that these disconnections like a breakup hurt so much because as humans we need to be around each other to survive yeah like in the most literal of terms from infancy babies and infants and through adolescence, you will not survive if you're just left alone. Mm-hmm. You need people yeah. around you to take care of you. Um, but and also, in order to feel happy and fulfilled in our lives, we need social contact. We need relationships. Yeah, we cannot survive in a vacuum. So it makes sense then that our brains perceive um, like a rupture in relationship as it. It's like a, it's like your brain goes like, "This is a threat. Yes. You need to stop this from happening. This is extremely painful." because attachment is usually the thing that we prioritize over all else. Mm. Whether or not it is a good, useful, healthy attachment varies from relationship to relationship, but obviously uh, that is case
0: by case. Mm -hmm. But that has stuck with me, that little bit of knowledge. Was it you who told me that? I think so, yeah. I mean, I do talk about it a lot, so it probably was. (laughs) I mean, if you take it right back, an infant cannot survive without relational contacts. Yeah, And then if you think about a tribal and a small group society, we also would have relied on each other. Isolation was death. Um, and basically, neuropsychologists have found that the same areas of the brain that light up or are activated when you're in physical pain, when you experience physical pain, are activated when you experience a breakup. And they're activated when you experience social rejection. So Aww. a breakup is essentially a... Deeper social rejection—it's a form of social rejection um, which is hits your attachment centers more significantly. But also, someone being shunned or bullied or rejected by their social group or family, this causes a reaction which is painful. Yeah. And when we say that, we mean similar to the experience of physical pain, and certainly, it you know is is looks similar in the brain on a brain scan on an MRI or whatever. Um, And maybe it's worse in a way than physical pain because physical pain is usually short-lived. Yeah. Um, You know, there's of course chronic, very difficult to treat conditions, which are very difficult for people. But I think in the main, most people would pick physical pain over mental anguish. Yeah,
1: 100% because Mm -hmm. you can take a pain, if you have a sprain of an ankle or something, Mm -hmm. or like a headache, you can take a painkiller. But Then if you have emotional pain, the things that you use... To dull the pain are things like substances, yeah. disruptive sexual behaviour, yeah. uh, shoplifting,
0: all these kinds of things. Yeah, self harm. Um, and maybe the level of physical pain helps in that in that choice. But physical pain, we know it will end, whether it's childbirth or a dislocated shoulder. Our experience of physical pain is that it will end, whereas we have less of an understanding of that with regard to psychological pain. However, psychological pain does end. It does, and this is an important point to make about mental distress. Um, All things resolve or change or ease over time, even grief, which has no resolution. The source of the pain can't be changed, but it does ease and change over time. So people, I hope, can start to try and recognise that it's an important realisation, you know, that people do come to that psychological distress has an end point. Yeah. But it's harder to see that in the, of course, in the peak yeah. of psychological distress because you have
1: a brain and it has your thoughts in it. No. <laughs> and Unfortunately, it goes. it's all,
0: effect, it's all the, the same thing. It's affected. all the stuff. Yeah.
1: But like if you, so to use my same analogy again, your sprained ankle can't be like, I'm going to be sprained forever. You don't have a thought center in your mm-hmm. ankle, but your brain is like, we are going to feel this bad for the rest of time. Yeah. Hope you're okay with that. And you, I believe my brain when it says that a lot of the time. And it's only through therapy that I've been like, hang on a second. (laughs) That's not true.
0: (laughs) Shut up, brain. Shut up, brain. Um, So I think we've established that breakups, um, divorces, etc. are in the most part painful. Yeah. So let's think of two scenarios, right? So in one scenario, a couple split up. And when they have to talk about any arrangements, say they have a joint bank account. Anytime they try to sort out the joint bank account, they argue they rage at each other, things each one says triggers the other and quickly they find that they're throwing accusations and shouting at each other. Then let's imagine scenario two um, and there's a couple who split up and are having to talk to each other to discuss a shared debt or selling a house or whatever and they are able to discuss these things, sometimes expressing regrets, sometimes even being warm to each other. So what makes the difference between these two people in how they're managing their separation? Is this a question for me to answer? It's sort of a rhetorical question that I'm about to answer. I hope you <laughs> with answer With this it. podcast.
1: <laughs> yes. but
0: do, you have, do you have thoughts on that or do you want me to go on?
1: Um, my thoughts on that are that the the couple in scenario one are operating out of their most primal feelings and the couple in scenario two are, you know, able for whatever reason. They have more resource to not exclusively do that and they deal with their pain outside of the conflict which is really really hard and really really boring when you're in the middle of a breakup and you're like I hate that person I want to tell them what a dick they are but you can't do that because it actually makes everything else
0: much harder. Yeah unfortunately you have answered the question now so all of this stuff that I had to say is irrelevant. Well no that's not true because
1: you've probably said it
0: You've got things to say in a very eloquent way. No, I think I've just gone into a tiny bit more depth, but you've essentially summed it up there. So let's start with how people behave after separation could be explained with reference to psychoanalytic theory. So specifically how Freud suggested that our egos create defences, which are designed to protect us against unpleasant feelings. And separation obviously can trigger our defensive processes, which then can often be expressed in anger. So Freud often described the ego as the rider and the id as the horse. So the id is more instinctual and less rational and the ego is the part of the personality that has to try and find realistic ways of interacting with the world. But if the ego fails, then the result is anxiety.
1: Where does the superego come into this? Because that's what I've never understood.
0: Is the superego like police? So yes, the superego is the part of the personality that. Um, acts as like a self-critical conscience and um, reflects social standards or things you've learned from your parents or your teachers internalized. So yeah, it's a bit like police overseeing mm. the other two crazy parts, you know, <laughs> the one that's trying to bring reality in and the one that's just like, you know, emotional. And um, I find it very hard to explain those concepts. And I am not, you know, I'm I'm not psychoanalytically trained. You know, I'm not, that's not my... That's not my background. So I I do feel like I'm dipping into this world to include these explanations. But basically, it's the hurt feelings that lead to conflict. So maybe you feel your partner treated you badly, was unfair, there was a betrayal. And then when it comes to being cooperative, you don't want to be, which is understandable. And honestly, people are free to be angry and unpleasant or lash out to their ex. It's just important to realize that that is more about your feelings than their behavior. And no matter what you think, it won't make you feel any better. But the problem really comes if there are children involved, because at that point, the conflict will have a negative impact on them. Mm -hmm. So whenever people are operating in a defensive way, they are acting to protect themselves. But it isn't necessarily rational. It's emotionally driven And therefore, it's not always the most productive action or the right thing to do. In fact, it's definitely not the most productive. And this will come into play later when we talk about kids and separation, because that's often something that requires negotiation by separated people. So another thing that influences how people behave in separation or breakups is to do with their attachment patterns.
1: Ooh, attachment.
0: <laughs> we're finally talking about attachment. Well, at some point we will do an episode or two going into detail about attachment. I think that has to be a two-parter attachment. It is massive. That's why we're holding off, really, That's because we know it's a, we know it's a big thing to cover. Yeah, absolutely. But in brief, our attachment patterns from childhood and infancy influence our adult attachments in romantic relationships and with our own children. So people might recognize the terms secure attachment, insecure, avoidant and disorganized attachment. So those early bonds you form with your primary caregiver are basically a result of you learning about how this primary caregiver responds to your needs. So if the primary caregiver recognizes and responds in a warm and consistent way, you will think, ah, I can trust this person and I presume that other relationships will be like this too. hmm so while we first thought of attachment as sort of a one-time deal, we now know that our attachment style is influenced by relationships throughout our life. But if you did have a disorganized, say, or an insecure attachment style from your childhood, you might have difficulties in relationship and trying to have a good separation or breakup. Yep. But attachment can be healed in relationship. In a paper published in 2006, Levy et al. demonstrated that attachment style is improved in psychotherapy by the nice. therapy relationship. Yes, this attachment, is the stuff. yeah, attachment repair is possible. It happens in relationship. Yes, I
1: love that. I love knowing about that um, because I
0: have. Do you know my attachment style? Have we talked about this? Yes. Well, the the first time you said we talked about attachment, oh. and you said. We were
1: chatting about it and I said, I wonder what mine is. And before I could finish my question, Emma went, avoidant. <laughs> and I felt called out. I have since um, honed that, um, my findings, and it's disorganized. Yeah. it Basically, it's a hot mess. But But the good thing is, is I feel like it is
0: getting better. I do. I think that as well. After I had said that, I realized that the avoidant, you you are drawn to relationships and you want to have relationships. Oh yeah! Oh my god! So I love that. I love that's it. not wouldn't be typical of an avoidant person. Yeah. Um. Although often what happens is people get into relationships and then the avoidant patterns come out and yeah. they find it hard to get close. They find it hard to let their guard down, um, make commitments, that kind of thing. So some of those things had just made me think of you, <laughs> <laughs> But then I had thought actually it's more of a mix. And that's what the, the, <laughs> the theory is starting to come towards it n- people rarely fitting into one single category. Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of- I am mostly secure, but I have some anxious attachment. Um so you know that's that's fine. That you could, is Lots totally of people, fine. that's very natural for yeah. people. It's it's useful, it's interesting to to think about these things. So while we're talking about attachment, um what you had said there about attachment trumps authenticity. Mm-hmm. So that's a very useful concept to think about, but I think that it doesn't apply for everybody. So I know for for me and for somebody like your mom, I this just a couple of people that I instantly thought of there there wouldn't be any attachment without authenticity. So authenticity yeah. is 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 Highly important in that relationship criteria of what you want. However, I can instantly think of several people who are in relationships, despite the fact that they shouldn't be. That the relationship has died along the way, long ago in the distance. And they are for some reason remaining in something that I personally would never would never remain in. But, because we, but we can say that because we're not in those relationships currently. That's true, yeah. But I just know based on my personality, it would torture me to be with somebody who had said, I don't want to be with you. Yeah. You know? But
1: the, the way I understood that phrase was not someone saying attachment trumps authenticity is not like, this is the way it should be. It's
0: here's why things sometimes go so badly wrong. That's the way I understood it. Yeah, of it. course, of um, course. But I just think it doesn't. It's it. I I. When you said it, I felt the truth of it. But I also think that for you know a group of people, the opposite is is completely true. But people do stay in relationships, you know, bad relationships that they shouldn't stay in, or secret relationships that, that they kind of they shouldn't be in. The know place, yeah. that
1: they shouldn't do. I've definitely done that before, and been like, well, you know, it's better than being bored. Or being single for ages, or not having uh, people around, mm. and I think that's also a, probably a thing about being young. I was going to say I think that at sometimes in your life it is better than that. Yeah. So you know, And eventually you're you're then you're nearly thirty, and you're like, I love not
0: having dicks around me all the time. <laughs> I think I'm gonna I'm gonna choose that from now on. I love the way you're putting the nearly thirty thing as if you're old and the tooth now. Emma, so young. The darling. other day this is a thing that happened to me this week
1: because I'm 30 in about a month and a, and a bit mm. and I feel like it's I'm, I'm feeling it I am feeling it because I was walking upstairs in my building in university and chatting to someone else who's in my class and I said I, my knees are so sore lately and I think it's because the weather's been damp <laughs> And I heard myself and was like, oh, no. Are you 100 years old? Yes, I think it's (laughs) happened. And my knees are still bothering me. And I've got a sore shoulder. Mm, And I think you didn't need
0: to check your bloods. No, it's just age. I'm aging. I'm not sure it is. If you go to the doctor and be like, well, I'm coming 30. So I've got all these age related (laughs) complaints. I think they'll look at you like you've got two heads. (laughs) That's another thing. No, I'm joking, <laughs> but anyway, regardless Sorry. of this, don't do, you know? You should never put too much stock in. Oh, my attachment style is whatever because yeah, it changes not. and treat it, it like
1: horoscopes or something, like an interesting guide, but not um, something to base all your decisions around.
0: No, it could be really useful information for you for why you have had a pattern of behaviour in relationships. But it is attachment repair is possible, as we said, as we have said, yes both in relationship and in the therapy relationship. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, a major thing that my therapist has told me over and over again and that I've read in nearly every single like piece of therapy, book, advice, inner work article ever is the phrase, what's hurt in relationship must be healed in relationship. Mm-hmm. And
0: annoyingly, that is extremely true. I think that comes from family therapy, that phrase actually yeah. as well, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not annoying for the concept of this podcast that it's true, but... um. Attachment, as we're talking about it here, is not unrelated to the Freudian ideas we mentioned. So it might be described that someone has a weak ego because of poor interaction with their primary caregiver in childhood, which makes it difficult for them to control their impulses. I want to just point out here that this is not necessarily what I think about this theoretically because I'm not Freudian. But I am interested in bringing up and discussing these explanations That might be made by different theoretical persuasions, you know, Mm -hmm. in general terms, people are hurt and hurt feelings make it more difficult to be reasonable or even kind to your ex. Yeah. And hurt feelings are coming from your defense mechanisms. Psychoanalytic theory suggests that this is led by the ego. When I was working with a parent who was separated and they were, say, for example, (laughs) restricting contact with their child, you know, having contact with the other parent I would always aim to see if we could work towards them being more reasonable, and really, the more hurt they felt, the harder that was for them to do.
1: Yeah, understandably.
0: And they turned their hurt into anger because it's it's easier to feel angry. Mm-hmm. So, what can we do about it? What can people do? So, let's first talk about what we can do ourselves. So, what different ways we can approach this situation to avoid the conflict? So, when you're in a breakup you may feel, you may think to yourself, well, they really deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, they hurt me and I'm not going to let them get away with this. This is something that I heard a lot as well when I was counselling people going through separation. People didn't want to let the other person away with bad actions. So then it becomes that you're punishing the other person for their perceived bad behaviour. And again, when children are involved, that means they become the weapons with with which you're, conducting this war and you can you know enact these punishments Um, and the problem with this should be really obvious if you follow these actions you will cause damage not just to your ex but to your children who you presumably don't want to damage and also to yourself it won't make you happy to make them suffer it ultimately won't make you happy to punish another person it might make you feel satisfied but that isn't the same thing. So when we talk about separation, often what happens is it's adversarial. And if people can't resolve their differences and it goes to court, it will become more adversarial. Yeah. So someone wants to win and in order for someone to win, someone else has to lose. But this is totally unnecessary with regard to separation, breakup or divorce. And it ultimately leads to suffering. I would advise people, if at all possible, to keep themselves out of court. It's expensive and it won't always go the way you want. And I've seen people do really nasty things in court in order to prevent someone seeing their children and it just all gets so complicated and and really unpleasant. So if you're in this situation, please reach out for impartial support and just retain the principle of putting the children first. Um, That book that I recommended before, which I will now properly credit, and it's called The Guide for Separated Parents, Putting Your Children First by Karen and Nick Woodall, I'm not sure if they were divorced when they wrote it, but anyway, it's very useful. They are a couple who are divorced
1: and they've written a book about how to be successfully
0: divorced. I don't know if they're divorced or together, but they're a couple who wrote this book anyway. So um, one of the first points in this book is to try and have empathy for the other parent. But I would say let's extend that to breakups in general. So it might sound really difficult to have empathy for someone who has dumped you. And I'm not suggesting that you ignore your feelings and just think, well, they had their reasons and I'm sure they're probably feeling bad. Yeah, that's not going to be very easy to do that. I mean, you could think that it's probably true. It, but as you say, it's not easy to have take that perspective. What I'm suggesting is that you remember, you have probably been in the position of breaking up with someone before. So you know that it happens and that you avoid attacking that person because you also know it feels bad to be attacked. Just remember they are a person.
1: Yeah, this is a thing that I have dealt with in therapy um, because I, my general go-to mechanism when I've been broken up with is to like burn all bridges entirely. <laughs> Get away from that person. Do not let them have any access to you in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's quite... Uh, quite dramatic. Mm. It's not, I'm sure it feels bad for the other person. I Mm. would feel terrible if it happened to me and yet, that's my impulse. Mm. So I brought this into therapy and was like, why do I do that? Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel great but it's sort of like irresistible or something. Mm. Um, And the, the kind of learning was it's like, it's an anger action. It's angry. You want to express your anger to that person but you don't actually I'm quite non-confrontational generally, so Mm -hmm. I don't actually want to be in active confrontation to the person. Yeah. So I will just do an angry distancing action. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I'd love to not do that because it's it's really a bit mental, and I don't know. I think if you've done that a few times, you sort of think, Am I a villain? Am am I I, the villain? Am I the baddies? (laughs) I think I might be. Um, I don't think I'm the villain. (laughs) Maybe I am, but so. what the advice I was given or kind of the a strategy that I've learned is to kind of safely indulge in fantasy on your own time away from the actual person who you're angry at or you've been hurt, hurt by or rejected by mm. is to kind of have a conversation in your head with them to completion. Yeah. To be like, you did this and I'm so annoyed about this and mm. you behaved in this way and I think you're crap and all mm-hmm. this stuff and really let them have it and kind of, I don't know, it's like going a few rounds in your head mm. um, because it resolves something that is not going to be otherwise resolved because very rarely in real life do you have the thing of having like having a, that post-breakup conversation. You don't yeah. really get it because no. everything's so charged and yeah people you know, if you're breaking up with me, for example, you will not be able to contact me. <laughs> so good luck trying to have that conversation.
0: <laughs> so yeah. um that is that is something that I'm tending to work on. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the thing is is that you know we've we've talked a lot about how it's it's very hurtful. and I think that when you when somebody breaks up with you and you distance yourself from them, Part of that is to protect yourself from any further hurt. Yeah, you know, and and anger as well. It's a protective, it's a defensive yeah. action, like you said. And it's easier than feeling hurt. Yes, yeah. less painful than feeling hurt to feel angry. Totally. You know? So I think go easy on yourself is what I would say. No, would be my I'm advice. trying to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yes, certainly, you know, try to try to change how you behave if you find the behavior is problematic for you, but but also be understanding for yourself. And the the other reason why those things might come up is something that we've talked about previously on the podcast and it's to do with childhood wounds, isn't it? So do with triggering childhood wounds. Yeah. Might be why we react in certain ways.
1: Absolutely. Especially
0: if they're repeated patterns.
1: Yeah, completely. And it's also think once you kind of start to go down those avenues and be like why do I behave this way when someone hurts me or, or why does why does it bother me so much when people behave in this way um you begin to see all your patterns mm. and you kind of go oh my god I need to sort out my shit as well <laughs> and it, it applies to breakups and also how you approach people like I think in the past couple of years I have done a real examination of being like why do I do why do I seek those people and why do I always end up with these kinds of people Mm. and then why I get annoyed when xyz happens because Mm -hmm. all the same things always happen Mm -hmm. um and you know it's not all just about other people it's about me because I'm I'm the common denominator in all of my relationships Mm -hmm. so if the same fucked up thing happens each time what's the cause of the fucked up thing it might be
0: me well, I think that that's the other side, or maybe the same side of the coin as having empathy for the other person is thinking, you know, to yourself, just having a wee look at yourself and thinking, "Am I perfect in this though? Have I been entirely perfect?" And the likely answer probably is no, because none of us not. are. Nobody, yeah. You know, none of us is ever perfect in the thing, and it it takes two people for these situations to happen. Yeah. So I actually wrote a song about breakups, and it's. That's one of the sort of concepts behind it, but I've probably written a few songs about breakups, but one that we're putting on the new (laughs) album is about how each person in separation has their own narrative about separation. So you can't really change the other person's narrative. People always want to. People pursue the other person and they've tried to get them to admit that they were wrong. But this is a fool's errand and really means that you'll be frustrated. And what happens when you get the other person to say, I was wrong? I'm sorry, and Nothing then you don't really. feel any better, you know. So really, it's better to accept, or it's it can be helpful. Sorry, I should say to accept that both parties will have different explanations, and that ultimately it doesn't matter if you if you know what your understanding of the situation is, if you know what your truth is, then it's important not to try to pursue somebody else having the exact same perspective. Because how could they? They're a different person. Yeah. Does that sound too zen? No, I think that sounds just appropriately zen. And I also want us to, you know, it's totally understandable if you don't feel like you can be kind to the other person. There's options to be neutral and there's options to, you know, not have any contact with them. Yeah. But I suppose that that's not an option when there's children is the problem. So whenever there's children and if all else fails and you can't have a reasonable conversation with your ex then you can use an intermediary. Maybe that's a friend or maybe in the case of separation or divorce, it's a mediator mm-hmm. or maybe it's relationship counselling. In my work, we did what we call joint counselling, where we saw both parents, Um, but we saw them based on the parenting relationship, not the couple relationship. Right, and we yeah. were very cl- clear to to distinguish because we weren't qualified relationship counsellors. So here in Belfast, we have one main organ, organisation called Relate who do the relationship counselling. Um, and in order to work for them, you have to have specific qualifications. So it's a slightly separate area of counselling, counseling, a bit like bereavement counselling. Um, and I also attended them as a client mm-hmm. with an ex-partner. There are specific theoretical frameworks from which relationship counselling takes its starting point, like the attachment-based, psychodynamic um, But there are in general five principles of couples counselling, which I will cover very briefly. Um, And as I do, I want you to think about why people might go to counselling, how this aspect of the process would help. So it changes the view of the relationship. Number one, changes the view of the relationship. It it attempts to help both partners see the relationship in a more objective manner. Mm -hmm. So come out of their um, polarised position and have a more objective view of the relationship. It number two, it tries to help modify dysfunctional behavior. So there might be a particular way of communicating or conversation style or behavior that is causing a lot of conflict, and it attempts to actually change that rather than have it continue to be the same.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it decreases emotional avoidance. So, uh, did She's eyebrows? Doing eyebrows, did right? Eyebrows.
1: Nice.
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm feeling attacked by those particular <laughs> eyebrows. So, Just because we mentioned avoidance already. <laughs> couples who avoid expressing their private feelings put themselves at greater risk of becoming emotionally distant and growing apart. Mm. So effective couples therapists help their clients to bring out the emotions and and talk to the other person. And attachment-based couples therapy allows their, the partners to feel less afraid of expe- expressing their need for closeness. Um and this is to do with not developing secure emotional attachments and then feeling you know that you have an anxious attachment style yeah. or an avoidant attachment style. Number 4, it improves communication. So being able to communicate is one of the 3 Cs of intimacy. What are the other 2 Cs? Um closeness and commitment. Commitment? Yeah, closeness and commitment. So communication, closeness and commitment are the 3 Cs of intimacy. Nice. Um and all effective couples therapies focus on helping the partners to communicate more effectively building on the previously mentioned principles and then finally it promotes strengths so they will point out the strengths in the relationship and build resilience particularly as therapy nears a close which is you know that's the practice of all therapy trying to look at strengths and build in resilience yeah um so essentially the task of couples counseling is to help couples reframe their relationship. Um, It can help them to resolve problems. It can bring them back together, but sometimes a couple will come for counselling and they will be doing that to help with their separation, to try and have a good separation or to negotiate things about the kids. Relationship counselling can help when there are dysfunctional patterns of relationship, but also it isn't a cure. Some relationships are just not meant to be.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about the... With the relationships not meant to be thing. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's like a sort of a revolution happening mm-hmm. currently. I love to say that there's revolutions <laughs> happening about stuff, that's my thing. <laughs> um, But I think like a lot of how our sort of society is built is based upon the traditional like heterosexual, monogamous, long term mm-hmm. marriage, and yeah. then you have ch- children. And that's what most parenting is expected to look like. Mm. And there's often a narrative that if you don't get married and stay married to that same person all your life, then the entire relationship has been a failure. Yeah. And that I don't think is necessarily true no. for everyone.
0: No, of course Absolutely,
1: not. Absolutely, it, wo- it works for some people and it's and it's very beautiful. But, I mean, if you think about your parents, my grandparents, yes. that they, they have modeled so beautifully and successfully mm-hmm. a long-term monogamous 61 years 61 yeah. years of marriage and um so I'm not trying to in any way say that that's not cool mm-hmm. I think it's super cool but also might not be for everyone um I am always trying to remind myself personally that just because relationships end does not mean that they were entirely a waste of time
0: no of I think course, this ties yeah. into the
1: what you were saying about the defensiveness thing is in the past when I've broken up with someone I'm like well, that was really a waste of my time and energy. And mm. why did I do all of that? And I think part of the the work of challenging that is to go, well, why what would it look like if it wasn't a waste of time and energy? Because I don't really want monogamy. Um because it the kind of the end to that thought pattern is that no relationship should should ever happen. Yeah. Of course. because yeah. you can't try You're it not in, worth in it. the first it's, place. Yeah. And that doesn't work at all that just simply makes no sense um i can think of ex-partners or or former friends who when we have parted ways i was really angry at or or really resented or thought they have wasted my time and energy Mm -hmm. i think with like the magic combination of time aging and fairly intensive therapy (laughs) i've been able to look back on more painful breakups with a view of like yes that was not meant to last or we were incompatible in significant ways yeah but look what an important lesson was learned through that that breakup or that pain. Um and quite often look at what being dumped by that person made me realise about myself and mm. the way that I've behaved after a breakup, um, or where I needed to do a lot of work on myself. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm saying all this because I do like the the approach of kind of what you've been talking about, of reframing the relationship, like, say for example, in the case of people who are separating, but they have kids. Yes, so they want to make it as as kind of smooth and successful transition mm-hmm. as possible into ex partners' co parents.
0: Co parenting, yeah, that's such mm-hmm. a lovely
1: idea. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult in reality. Um, but the thing of just not. Not just abandoning a connect all connection, yeah. In the event of a breakup, or like a divorce, or even a, a falling out, all these things apply to friendship as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard. It is hard for people who are hurting to think of it in those terms. Yeah. of course, but it is a nice idea. Um, and it and is possible. It is. It's thing. so possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think once you have had that possibility highlighted to you, it's. it doesn't go away then Mm -hmm. you know I don't think anyone would be like that sounds like a load of shit I'm not doing that (laughs) (laughs) and I hope in any future breakups I'm going to remember my own advice here which (laughs) we will see this all comes with a huge caveat of course that I've never been married I don't Mm. have any kids I'm not some big massive relationship expert and that outlook all sounds very smug but um, it's extremely hard won I think as anyone who has been through a massive relationship rupture will
0: appreciate. Yeah. I do think there's a danger, a big danger of coming across as smug when you talk about these things because you're describing how when things are bad, it's because you've like forgotten to be reasonable or whatever. And <laughs> I want to be at pains to say like, firstly, this is rarely a one-sided problem. You know, we talked about that. There's two people involved in this. And if you can remain reasonable in the face of extreme behaviour, for example, then that's very impressive. Um, secondly, when you feel hurt and you make decisions in an emotionally driven way, sometimes you will feel that you couldn't have done anything any differently.
1: Yeah, but that it, is fair.
0: It is fair, but it's likely you could have, especially if you gave yourself more time and maybe even a little touch of therapy. Mm-hmm. But thirdly, and most importantly, this is not about self-blame or regret for mistakes made when your hurt feelings meant you probably had good reason not to be entirely and completely reasonable. This is about finding ways to get through these situations in future with less pain, less damage and less potential fallout. And in the situation with parents, the stakes are higher. Yeah. But also it should be an easier decision because it isn't just about you. You know, you can hold your tongue or you can let things slide or let passive aggressive comments go over your head for the sake of the children. You know, they're they're the most important thing and they have to be put first. So I feel like I've said so many tons of things here. So I want to do a wee summary. Yes. So have understanding for yourself and others when breakups are hard and painful. Yes. And this it comes from our psychological processes that are designed to protect us from rejection and isolation. And they come from our attachment patterns developed in infancy, childhood and in relation with others. So we don't have Total control over how we react, so go easy on yourself, basically. We we do have
1: a a lot of potential for changing and healing our attachment
0: wounds. Especially with understanding of why you're behaving the way you behave.
1: Absolutely. Like, I think before I got into therapy, I was like, oh, if you've got a bad attachment style, like, shit one, you know, can't do anything about it.
0: (laughs) Got one of the bad ones, have you? Oh, Oh, no,
1: Regent, like, it's not like that, and I think... (laughs) If you go into therapy, that's one of the things that will be real. They will mention it a lot and they'll use words like neuroplasticity even. Mm. And you'll go, what is that? Mm. And they say, you have it. You yeah. can do it as
0: well. So that is, I mean, I think that's a beautiful um, thing to think about. Absolutely. Um, and then if you do find yourself in conflict and breakup, there are several strategies you can use to help that. Putting yourself in the other person's shoes, letting things go, Taking your complaints to someone else, friends, family, or as you say, imagining the conversation to fruition um, rather than to their doorstep. Yeah. Um, You're unlikely to get the response or the satisfaction from the person that you're after. And real, true punishing, conflict and anger hurts you as much as it hurts them and it won't bring you peace. And when children are involved, start with the principle of putting them first they love both their parents and they shouldn't feel weird or guilty about wanting to see them or after they've spent time with them. So if making that as problem-free for the children as possible, it will cause you less stress in the long run if they are okay. Mm -hmm. Trust me. Be kind. Don't be a dick, maybe. Good advice for us all. Uh, Just in general in life, I think. And get some impartial professional support if you need to. Does that sum it up, do you think, Hannah? I think you've done a brilliant job.
1: I am probably not going to have children. <laughs> so good luck to you all. No, I'm joking. But that is that's very complicated. I've given a good
0: treatment. It is complicated, but you know, breakups are complicated because our emotions are complicated and you know these things are sent to try us. <laughs> But they're also sent so that we can grow and we can learn things about ourselves. And as you say, you know, uh, you said earlier about, um, you know, this idea of long term monogamous relationships and you get married and that's it and that's and it's for life. Um, Something that my brother Mark said actually to my mum once Mm -hmm. when he had separated from um, one of his partners, his ex partners, who he had had a child with, he said, you know, not all relationships last forever, Mum. And she actually did find that quite a revolutionary concept. Wow. Because, you know, she was born in 1940 and she's from a different generation. But he's right. He had a lot of um, very significant relationships in his life, which he didn't ever want to leave fully behind. Yeah. You know, they, they came with him in his life and... Enriched it further as mm-hmm. it went on. So not all relationships last forever. and But some of them, you know, re- enrich us despite that. Yeah.
1: Or they change in a way that makes them, gives them a new meaning.
0: Like they can be reinvented. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're co-parenting with somebody, that relationship hasn't disappeared. It has changed. Yeah. And so maybe we can reframe it so that it can be, you know, it can be positive. If possible, or neutral at the very least. Neutral is fine. Neutral is fine. You don't have to be Kofi and Anne about it. When me and Marty are like having a disagreement um, and one of us will say to the other one, it was just your tone of voice. We'll make a joke, which is, I was using a completely neutral tone. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll usually laugh and... <laughs> And if it's me, I probably wasn't using a neutral tone. What I would do in that conflict is
1: I would move out in the dead of night (laughs) in response (laughs) to the perceived threat. And that is not good advice. Shall we do our sign off? Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Thanks, therapy. therapy. Let's go. Let's go, man. I can't promise this will be any good, but I'm here. My head is really sore, and I'm just going to oh. have to peace out and get through. Yeah. I quite like this song. Isn't
0: That's a nice song, yeah. <clears throat>
1: but it, I might be unhinged. Interesting. Okay.
0: That never happens on the podcast. <laughs> there will be a treat <laughs> for them all. And that is the news and the news. <laughs> and the news today is news. The news at 7.53. Have you ever seen The
1: Weather Woman from SNL?
0: This We are laughing our heads off because I pointed out to Hannah one time I was re- listening to the podcast to do the edits <laughs> on it and she had said It's been several weeks since we launched the podcast. I said, did you realize you said launched? Like you're pronouncing it in a French way?
1: I like to live. I like to sometimes just bring a bit of pretension into the way I pronounce words for no reason. Um, The more I listen back to our own episodes, the more I hear myself, Jim, like, "Why, why do I talk like that?